Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message, I was in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where it says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And in the previous two programs, I spent a lot of time talking about the issues and the struggles that people have because, of course, their ideas are relatively dysfunctional. And the simplicity of what is described here tends to be a mystery to a lot of people to the extent where most people will just simply read past these verses and move on until they can find something else that seems to be a little bit more consistent with what they would like to believe. But understanding these verses is not complicated. It really is quite simple. If you understand what the gospel is, if you understand the gospel in the context of sin, death, forgiveness, and the restoration of life, that the sin issue has to be resolved, the sin issue caused the death of humanity through Adam and Eve, God has provided for forgiveness to resolve the sin problem between God and humanity as a whole, completely once and for all. And through the resurrection of Jesus, God has provided us with his Holy Spirit, which will resurrect us from the dead as well. And because the sin issue has been completely resolved, there is no sin that has been left unforgiven that will cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within us ever again. So if you understand the gospel in this context, it's very easy for you to embrace the idea that salvation is by grace and by grace alone, and that it has nothing to do with what you do or what you don't do in any way whatsoever. This does tend to be a struggle for a lot of people because people struggle with the issues related to pride. And that's what I spent a lot of time talking about in the previous two messages. But what Paul says here in these two verses really isn't complicated. It's really simple. You have salvation. It has been given to you by the grace of God. It is because you have trusted and believed in what he has said. Your response to the truth that he has revealed is your faith. Faith is the response to the truth that has been revealed to you. Your response is to believe, to trust, to rely on, and to let these truths be an integral part of your existence, that this has nothing to do with you. It is only about the gift of God, that he is giving to us freely what we have a need for, which is resurrection in our spirit. There is nothing that we can do in order to earn this, to establish some kind of claim before God that he owes us. There is nothing that we can do in order to compare ourselves with other people. We have no opportunity to boast. We have no opportunity for personal pride if we embrace the gift of God, the gift of salvation 
truly in the proper context, with the proper understanding of our condition, of his provision, and all that goes along with it. And so this is what I was describing in the previous two programs. In this program, I'm going to move forward into verse 10. In verse 10, Paul said, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He goes on and he speaks about works, that we have been created for good works. In the verse above, in verse 9, he says, Salvation is not by works. So if we're going to be made into a new creation, it's not going to be compensation for any work that we may do for God or for somebody else or for whatever. But this does not mean that we are not to engage this world in the context of doing works. And of course, I'll have to explain a little bit more about that, and I will talk about that in a few minutes. But I want you to understand that doing works is not evil in and of itself. It just isn't. But if a person thinks that they're going to do works in order to obtain salvation, that would be contrary to what he describes here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. In addition to that, I spent a lot of time in the previous program speaking about the importance of understanding that your works will not sustain your salvation. And this is what a lot of people end up in. They end up with the belief that, okay, yeah, you're saved by grace, but, you know, after that, you are sustained by your works. And, you know, quite often people will ask me, well, Aaron, tell me about who you are as a Christian and what kind of makes you different from other Christians as you give me the impression that you are a different Christian in comparison with a lot of others. How would you describe that difference? This is the kind of conversation that I often have with people, and they ask me these kinds of questions because I let them know that, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like others. So they want to know, well, what's the difference? The first difference that I think is very important to convey when I speak with people, is to explain that I believe that we are saved by grace and we are sustained by grace, whereas most people believe that we are saved by grace and we are sustained by our works, which effectively means that if you want to stay saved or if you want to keep your salvation, well, you're going to have to do some works that are approved of by whatever pastoral leadership that you are associated with. This is what most people believe. There are, of course, some people who believe that you are not saved by grace, you are saved by your works, and you'll never know that you're going to be saved or not until the final day when you go before your God and he evaluates you and examines your life carefully and makes a decision at that point. There are some people who believe that. But for the most part, you'll find that most people tend to believe that we are saved by grace However, it is very difficult to find people who believe that we are sustained by grace. Most people will then say, you are sustained by your works. Now, as I mentioned in the previous program, I certainly do believe that we will do good works, that that will be a natural expression of who we are as a new person, as a new creation in Christ Jesus. I have no doubt whatsoever that there will be a change in a person's life. I would be surprised if there wasn't. And if there isn't a real substantial change that, of course, we 
would approve of, you know, because supposedly we're the ones who are evaluating each other in some way. There are a lot of people who relate to one another this way. I personally don't think that we need to be concerned about this at all, and that even if a person has nothing that they could demonstrate or show that reveals in some profound way that they are a Christian, they can still be a Christian. They can simply be confused. They can be distracted. There are a lot of ways to describe this, but this is not my concern. I know that this is the concern that a lot of people want to have, but this is not my concern. My role in the Christian world is to be a representative of my God, not to evaluate other people on his behalf, but to be a representative of him such that other people may know who he is. That's what he has sent me to do. But when it comes to the topic of works, again, I would expect that people would engage in works. But what would these works be? If he says here in verse 10, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, then what are those? Where's the list? Where's the description? What can we really look at in order to identify what these works are? And, you know, there really isn't a complete list that we could really look at in order to say that these are the definitive works. There are many good works that are described in the scriptures, but just because those are described doesn't mean that everyone is required or somehow obligated in some way to engage in all of these works that may be extracted or extrapolated or identified through the scriptures. So while we do have the encouragement to engage in some good works of some kind, a description of what these works might be is somewhat open-ended. We have an open-ended description of the existence of works, but we don't really know for sure what those might be. And you need to be careful with this, because even if you identify a list of good works that that you could do, you know, you can go through the scriptures and you can see what we have been encouraged to do and what we have been encouraged not to do. And you know, there are some times when those are going to be some wonderful things that can definitely benefit a lot of people. On the other hand, there can also be some circumstances where if you do these things, you may be causing harm to a person because you might be enabling their dysfunctional behavior. So doing good works can be good. But on the other hand, in some ways they can be bad. And so you really do need some kind of discernment when it comes to what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And this will just add to all of the uncertainty regarding the open-endedness of what these works might be. So what do people tend to do? What people tend to do is they wait until there is a need. This is what people will usually do. And I'm not going to say that this is wrong or that there's something evil about this. I think it's fine. But in most cases, what people are going to do in order to deal with this question of what kind of works might there be, things that we could maybe participate in, we usually wait for there to be a need of some kind presented to us. And of course, if we don't seem to have any needs presented to us right now, we could go look for them. But either way, people are looking for the needs as being the descriptions 
of what we might do that could qualify as being a work for God or for these other people, however somebody may want to describe that. But what I will say is that the need is never the call. The need is never to be the call. The reason why is because you will discover, if you start looking, that there are millions of needs. There is an abundance of needs. There is no shortage of needs that will be presented or that could be identified that could provide you with a huge list of what these needs might be. And when you really look into it, and when you discover all of these needs, then the next question you're going to have to ask is, which one is the right one for me to engage in? What am I going to do? You know, there are all of these needs that are available for me to engage in all these good works you know, related to these needs, so which one do I pick? And you'll never know. How will you truly know which one is the right one? The way that I deal with this is by trying to help people to understand that the need itself is never really the call. And there is a lot that could be said about this. Many examples that Jesus provided us with that show that he certainly did not meet every need that was presented to him or that was available for him to meet. You will need to rely on the discernment of God himself to lead you and guide you when it comes to participating in the world that you are a part of. If the need was the call, then there are a million needs and you'll never know which one is your call. In fact, there may be none that are your call. And even if there are none that are your call, if I was to say it in that way, you can still go and meet those needs on your own. There's nothing evil about that, unless your God, of course, explicitly expresses to you to not participate in something, to do something for someone else, to help somebody. If he tells you not to do that, well, then if you do it, then you are acting in a way that is inconsistent with how your God would like you to behave at that time. But other than that, we are free to do whatever we would like to do or not do outside of the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within us. We are certainly free to do that. But again, if the need was the call, if the need was something that would show that we are obligated to participate in a way to fulfill that need, then there are so many needs that we will certainly never be able to fulfill them all. And so this cannot be. It just simply is not going to work in anyone's life. And so a person can decide on their own, or they can rely on the living God himself. And this is what I encourage people to consider otherwise. And that is to remember that the call is always to Christ. It is always to your God. Our God has called out to us and he has said, come to me. The needs that you will be confronted with in the world that you are a part of will always call out to you also. And they will always call out to you saying something like, I am in need, come unto me. But the true calling is to Christ. It is to your God. It is to the person who saved you, who made you alive It is the person who wants to have a personal interactive relationship with you. That is who you are called to. And then your God is the one who will send you to meet the need, whatever that need may be. 
But that doesn't mean that he has to send you out to meet somebody's needs or to perform works. You can do this on your own, or maybe he will send you, or maybe he will not. This is a personal decision of your God based on your individual relationship with him and based on the circumstances of life that you're a part of. There is no way that you can go into the scriptures and be led and guided on an individual basis when it comes to the works that you may engage in with your God during your daily life. This is not possible. And it's good because it is supposed to be a personal interactive experience between you and your God, not something that you're just educated in and then you just follow the instruction that you have been educated with. You are to go to your God and you are to grow in your personal relationship with him. And if there is something that he would like you to do, he will definitely make it clear to you that this is something that he wants you to do. And this is what I believe the end of verse 10 is referring to, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that there are works that our God will prepare beforehand that we should walk in them. And of course, if you decide to not walk in those works that he has prepared, I am sure that he will find somebody else. But you still need to pay attention to the issue that you are first called to him and then he will send. And again, if he does not send, you can decide on your own. And if he does send, you can still decide if you want to do that or not. I personally have been sent by my God many times. And I believe that he has done this because this is a personal conviction that I have based on my understanding of my God and how he relates to me as a person. I grew to know his voice to know when he was revealing something to me and when he wasn't. I do not believe that my God has a communication problem of any kind whatsoever. When I have been concerned about whether or not he was sending me to do something, I just assumed that he was not until he made it more clear, clear in a way that I knew absolutely that it was from him. So if you have any concern throughout your life, if you have any uncertainty about whether or not your God is sending you to do something, then chances are he's not. You are certainly free to go do it if you would like. But if you want to be sure that he is sending you to engage in something as a representative of him, he's going to make that clear to you in a way that you are going to know. We do not have a God who has some kind of communication problem. I do not believe that he struggles with communicating with us in any way whatsoever, that he will share with us what he wants us to know, what he may want us to do or be a part of. He will be able to do that just fine and in a way that we will receive his words and know that it is coming from him. There have been many times that I have done things on my own without being directed by God, And when I have gone to do those things, I have done so with the attitude of the God who dwells within me is going to come along. This is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to go. And he has an opportunity to speak within and through me if he would like. And if he doesn't, well, this is what I'm going to do. And he just gets to go along with me because, of course, he dwells within me. And there have been many times when he has sent me to engage in various things to speak with different kinds of people, and I have done that, and I do not do that in a way 
that I believe that I have something to boast about, you know, because God has sent me to do something and he's never sent you to do anything. So am I some kind of special and unique Christian because of that? Absolutely not. Do not ever let anyone make you feel like you are inadequate or maybe unsaved or you don't have a good relationship with God because he hasn't sent you to engage in some work on his behalf. If it hasn't happened yet, well, you know, there's still plenty of time for it to happen. If it will happen, we don't know. You shouldn't be concerned about this. Remember, your objective is always to know your God. The more that you know him, the closer that you grow to him. And maybe one day there will be something that he will ask you to do on his behalf. Maybe he'll coordinate things in a way that he will not tell you that this is something that he's participating in. If that's the case, then be thankful and you do not have to know. You don't have to know. It's none of your business. It's his business, not yours. And you should continue to live in peace, knowing that if God wants you to know something, he'll make it clear to you. And so that's how I would like to begin with the end of verse 10. Verse 10 being, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what they are, what these them are, whatever they are, is open-ended. It's not absolutely defined with some list of works that you can pick from and select and check off on some kind of a list that says that you've done these works or you can do these works or that these exist. It is an open-ended description because we are in a living experience in this world, which is so full and so enormous that there really is no way to describe this in absolute terms. It is an experience to live in, not something to define. But going back up to the beginning of verse 10, I'd like you to notice that he says, for we are his workmanship. So regardless of how open-ended or how undefined things may be, there is one thing that I do believe we should be very careful to understand. And that is that we are his workmanship. That we are his work. That is something to be defined. And what is the fundamental work of God when it comes to us? It is the work of making us living beings who know him. It is the work of salvation. It is the work of making us spiritually alive. And it is the work of us getting to know who he is as a person. When most people in the Christian world are thinking of works, they're usually thinking about things that are related to the world. They're usually thinking about the things related to the flesh. But the work of God is us. We are His workmanship. So if we are going to be participating in the work that God is doing, it is going to be related to his workmanship, which is related to people becoming spiritually alive and growing to know who he is. And so in this way, I will divide the works into two different categories. One work would have to do with the issues related to the flesh, and the other kind of work would have to do with the issues related to the Spirit. And I will continue with this in the next program. 
You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.